in your Bibles, if you'd turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Now we're going to begin our series uh, on a, uh, the most amazing sermon you'll ever read or ever hear. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it actually starts in Matthew chapter 5, um, but I thought we would start at the end because the end actually helps us to understand uh, that, uh, how to read the sermon, how to understand it. Uh, the sermon, in some ways, is incredibly difficult to live out. Uh, there's incredible challenges within the text that would leave us wondering, Jesus, are you serious? Do you want us to actually live this way? Before the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew is spending a lot of time trying to develop an understanding of who Jesus is. And uh, after Jesus' temptation, after Jesus' baptism, we are told that from that time on, in Matthew 4.17, Jesus began preaching the message of the good news, that there was good news that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is at hand, that it's present. And so what the Sermon on the Mount becomes for Matthew and his, and his grand work of presenting Christ as Lord and King, it becomes this message of, how do you live in the kingdom of God? Now, it's not the first time you've heard me talk about the kingdom, if you've been here any, any time, ever. And, uh, but it's one thing to announce that it's available. It's another thing to say, how do we live in it? And so the aim of this series will be to flesh out and fill out the idea of how do we as people who belong to Jesus live in today's world? How do we function? How do we go about living in the kingdom of God? So if you're looking for encouragement, if you're wondering what is the kingdom life all about, if you're just needing a few nudges or reminders, uh, hopefully this entire series will be an encouragement and challenge to you. And so this morning is partly introduction, but it's also uh, filled with hopefully challenge and encouragement that we would walk faithfully with God in his kingdom. Let's uh, start by reading what Jesus has to say regarding his sermon. In seven, Matthew seven twenty four. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Jesus fully expects that this sermon is something to be listened to and obeyed. His illustration is of a house that's been built on bedrock and that you are wise if you listen to what he's just preached and you lived it out. 
I think that this applies to all of my sermons too. Um, I'm just putting that out there. But, uh, uh, but for Jesus' sermon, the most important sermon ever preached, Jesus says to his people, if you listen to me, if you carry this out, you are building your life wisely. If you don't, then you're acting foolishly and you're building your house on sand. And so in my sermon notes, I, I have two questions. Does Jesus want us to act on his message? Yeah. So go ahead and fill that in if you think that Jesus wants us to. Now, can you? Can you live out the teaching of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount? And today's message is all about encouraging a positive response to that question. By the end of today's sermon... I want you to be able to say, yes, we can. All right, sorry. Uh, that was a, but yes, we can obey. Yes, we can follow. Yes, we can trust and know that Jesus is truly asking of, asking of us to listen to him and obey his, his teaching. And so uh, a couple of things. The first is, is that uh, the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to help us understand the new reality of the kingdom, that there is something that Jesus is doing and breaking in. We should see the sermon as Jesus helping us understand life in the kingdom of God. So how do we live as a kingdom people? It's to become a disciple of Jesus. It's to learn and see the world as Jesus saw the world. When we say, okay, I want to follow Jesus, we're asking for his sort of eyes and how he looks at the world. And Jesus, he compares two people. He says there's the fool and there's the wise person. And what I would, what I would ask you to think about is that there is this sort of willful disobedience, this willful rebellion. Um, I have children, so I'm painfully aware of willful rebellion. You ask them to eat their mac and cheese, and you think that you're, you know, instituting like some incredible thing, like, you know, climb a mountain. No, we're just asking you to eat your mac and cheese, and it becomes this all-out battle. Who's ever dealt with willful rebellion? All right? You guys are familiar with it. Who themselves have been willfully rebelling against, uh, against you know, somebody tells you to do something, and you say... I'm going to hold my ground. I think I'm going to stay right here. You know, don't tell me to do anything I don't want to do. Well, Jesus, he says that the foolish people, and if you think about foolishness in Scripture, it says the fools say that there is no God. It's a willful rebellion, a willful rejection that there is a God who's created the heavens and the earth. And so if you would go with me on this, the fool is the one who would reject Jesus and that his wisdom for the world isn't something to be listened to. I was reflecting on just the basic sort of Christian tenet that, that God created the heavens and the earth. And here's the thing. If God creates the heavens and the earth, then I think, call me crazy, God, God actually has a place in it to tell us how we should live that God has a way in which we should function and exist in our world. And willful rebellion is us saying, God, I don't think you know what you're talking about. 
God, I don't know that you are qualified to say this is how we should live. To illustrate this, I was thinking about uh, a commercial that aired not too long ago, and hopefully it, it works out. Go ahead, please. Reactor 3 is at critical mass. Core temperature still rising. You're going to have to provide more cooling in the containment chamber. Okay. Close the flow channels. Activate the hydrogen recombiners. Do it. Actually, I'm with the tour group, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Stay smart. Stay at a Holiday Inn Express. So the whole idea is that you uh, stayed at a Holiday Inn, so you're smart enough to do that, so you're smart enough to be a nuclear engineer and run the show. We don't, we don't, look, at, uh, we don't look at what Jesus is instructing us as though Jesus is one who stayed at the Holiday Inn and he's somehow qualified. Everything leading up to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, when he's baptized and he's raised up out of the water, what do, do the heavens do but they open up and what do they declare about who Jesus is? He's the Son of God. And so when Jesus ends his sermon and says, you're wise if you listen to me, and they, they look at him and they hear him and they're in awe of what? Of his authority, that he's teaching in a way that nobody else has taught him before. He speaks with such authority, not because he stayed at a Holiday, Holiday Inn Express, but because he's seated at the right hand of God. He was there in the midst of creation, and so Jesus, as, as amazing as this might be, it's a simple point, but it's important for us. Jesus is perfectly qualified to ask us to listen to him and trust him. And to trust and know that he knows what's the very best thing. To illustrate maybe even further, I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about taking up a, a job as a mountain, mountain guide. Now, I don't know anything about mountain climbing. I've never gone mountain climbing. I've lived in Michigan and Indiana. I don't know if you could find much flatter places to live. Um, uh, maybe Kansas. I don't know. But... Uh, but I don't think I would be very good at mountain climbing and being a very good mountain climbing guide, being that I've never done it. But if you guys would join me on a trip to Colorado, I think that we would have a lot of fun for about three hours, and then we would be lost and eaten by bears. You wouldn't trust me to tell you where to walk with the right steps. I wouldn't be able to tell you all of the gear that you would need. I wouldn't be able to tell you anything about how to properly go about mountain climbing, and you would be downright foolish to listen to me. Jesus is saying just that. We are downright foolish to listen to ourselves and the willful rebellion of our hearts and our minds. And saying, you are wise if you listen to me and you obey this teaching. Because he is certainly an able and capable teacher but he is also perfectly qualified to tell us that this is the way we should go. And so it's this challenge to us because that's the forever tension that we have with us is willful rebellion or willful obedience. 
And Jesus, he presents at the end of his sermon an option. You, you have two different ways that you can go. You can hear these words of mine and go and act on them, or you can hear these words and continue to go down the path you've gone. And so discipleship is this. Discipleship is learning to follow and listen to Jesus and see the world as Jesus sees it. One of the challenging things about the sermon, and the sermon is, is it feels like it's a sort, uh, sort of tightening down of what it means to follow. That it, Jesus, he goes out of his way to make things more difficult for us. And it's kind of like, gee, thanks. As if it wasn't already hard enough not to sin, Jesus sort of uh, makes it exponentially harder. And I want to push back against our notions where this isn't something we can do or this is Jesus uh, just creating more guilt. You know, like, let me just remind you how bad you are and so then we go to him more. Like, Jesus isn't trying to make us feel guilty. I think Jesus is trying to point us towards something that's good and beautiful. I think I spent the majority of my early Christian walk thinking that my relationship with God was strictly built on sin and guilt and returning to Him for forgiveness. That the cycle of my life was just about, okay, I I sinned, I've messed up, I need to go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, and then go out through my week and then come back on Sunday and confess all of the things that I've screwed up on. And it's sort of an endless cycle, and I don't really feel like I ever grew... It was just sort of like, I just keep coming on back. And it's the Sermon on the Mount that I think when we read through it together, I think it sort of blows that whole cycle up. Because what I think Jesus is doing is instructing us on a good and beautiful life that we are called to live. It's not that we follow these things so that when we break them, we return to Jesus. It's so that when we follow Jesus' instructions on how we deal with our brothers and sisters, on how we pray, on how we not worry, on how we set our hopes and our dreams on the kingdom of God and seek it first with our lives, that Jesus' instruction is actually a guide to help us experience the very best and the most beautiful life we could live in this world. A beautiful life is not found in exploring sin and returning to God for forgiveness. A beautiful life is found when we join Jesus in His kingdom and we see that Jesus actually does know what good and beautiful is. And Jesus' sermon is infinitely practical. It's not like walking through Leviticus and saying these impractical things that you're never going to come across. Like the next time we need to have a sacrificial animal, how we should go about cleaning it and presenting it and then burning it. That sounds like an exciting Sunday and perhaps a good sermon illustration. But I don't know how often you're going to run into that in your daily walk with Jesus Christ. But what I do know is every single message is as practical and daily life as what do you do when you feel like calling your brother an idiot 
I've called my brother an idiot quite a few times just this morning. And, you know, we think about the practical teaching of not worrying and seeking first Christ in his kingdom. What do we think about lust? What do we think about our marriages? How do we pray? Jesus is getting right down to the very ordinary, everyday circumstances. And he's teaching us that we can have an extraordinary life of beauty and life and goodness if we will follow the way of the kingdom of God. So Jesus is preaching an incredibly practical message for every single one of us about how we are called to live. And so, and just thinking, uh, thinking about uh, those things, just want to make sure I got all this covered because I, I just want to make sure we understand that Christ is calling us to a good and wonderful life. Now I need some help. And Jesus, he's casting a manifesto for his kingdom. How do we live in this world? How do we exist? How do we function? And I need some help. Sam, I'm calling upon you for help. Connor, I need you for help. Oliver, I need you for help. John, would you be willing to participate? All right. Now, I'm having Eric set us up a basketball hoop. It's uh, named Goliath, but that is, that is not like, I mean, that's not any sort of symbolism, though Goliath was probably that tall. All right, now, yep. Okay, now, this is a pretty challenging shot. Do you think you can make it? You guys, you're going to come participate, you guys? I mean, it's pretty high up there. Clay, um, I think I need your help, too, actually. Clay, how tall are you? Six five, just just a just a little guy, just a baby, right? Six five. All right, so it's a pretty hard shot, right? Clay, uh, let's make room for Clay here. Clay, I just need you to stand right here, All right. and you just stick your hands up really high. <laughs> okay, now Sam, you gotta shoot and make it, okay? <laughs> oh, you missed. That's all right. Good try, Sam. Who's next up here? All right, Connor, give it a go. Oh, hey, that was pretty close. That was pretty good. All right, now let's hear John. Can you do it? You can jump for John, okay? Oh. All right, Oliver, you don't want to do it? Okay, you want another try, Sam? Oh, you got a piece of it. All right. All right, now, Connor, you got another go at it? All right. Oh, hey, it was close. All right. Thank you, guys. Hold on. Connor and Sam, I still need you. Thank you there, Clay. Thanks for coming to church today, Clay. All the way from Indianapolis. You want to help me now? That would be good. All right. Now, I just want you... Uh, let's see here. Sam, would you be willing to read the first part of the Sermon on the Mount? Oliver, you want to read? I'm going to have Oliver read. Is that okay? Okay. Thanks, Connor. All right, if you'll read the first two verse, or just the first verse of chapter 5. Hold on a second. Purple one, Jared. All right, you, can you read the first one for us, please? Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. 
His disciples came to him and began to teach him them. All right, so it says to us what? Who joined Jesus on the mountain for the sermon? His disciples. His disciples. All right, very good. I'm going to ask you the question, and you're going to read, okay? Oh, can you hang on? Here you go. Just a second. Let's get there. All right, now let's look at the last the last part of the sermon. Oliver, can you read here? When Jesus had had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had author- authority and not as their teachers of the law. All right, very good. Now, Connor, it said in verse 1, it said in verse 5, chapter 1, that his disciples went with him, but then it said when he finished... The crowds were amazed. So who was up on the mountain with Jesus? The disciples. The disciples and? The crowd. And the crowd. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks for your help. Oh, wait. Hold on. I, I'm not done with you. Sorry. So our little basketball thing, was that was that difficult? Yeah. Why was it hard? Uh, because someone like ten times taller than me was guarding me. <laughs> ten times. Was it hard? Yeah. What made it hard for you? Uh, Same thing? Uh, yeah, that guy over there was tall. He was pretty tall. Now, I have, now, here's an important question. It was really hard, and I made it intentionally very difficult. I'm glad it was difficult for you. Here's a question. If you guys were working together, would it have been easier? Like you could have passed and moved? Would that have been easier? Yeah, he could have passed to me, and I could have shot it. Yeah, right? And if you guys practiced, like, all week, like, I didn't just spring it on you, do you think that would have been a little easier? Yeah. So if you guys could be a team and you guys could work at it, you guys could maybe have accomplished it and had a little more success. All right. It would have been easier if the basketball hoop wasn't smaller than my head. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah, I, I made it as difficult as I could. Thank you, guys. Let's give all these guys a round of applause. All right, so why do all that? It's just this. It would have been easier if they had a team. It would have been easier if they would have worked at it. They don't feel bad that they missed the shot. It was an impossible thing. I don't think Jesus set the standard so that we could feel as guilty as possible. I think he set the standard so high that we would go through it together. I think he set the standard so high that we would work at it and that we would grow. There are two people that climbed the mountain with Jesus. There's the crowd and there's the disciples. And the crowd, they go up because they admire Jesus. They look at him and they think, holy cow, this guy is amazing. He teaches in such spellbounding ways that we leave awestruck at his message. And then there's a second group of people. The people who hear the message and who are awestruck at the authority of Christ, but then they do one thing. They become disciples. They follow what he teaches. We're going to go up the mountain together to hear from Jesus. 
And my simple challenge and my simple question is this. Are you going to be a part of the crowd? Or are you going to learn to follow Him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for all that You do. We thank You for Your Son. Not just that He's an incredible teacher, that He spoke in spellbounding ways. God, that You point us to Your goodness and Your will. God, that there is a good and beautiful way to live in our world, in Your world. And God, so often we want to stand in rebellion that we can go our own way and find the life we're looking for apart from you. So God, we come before you with broken hearts, with a deep and sincere need for you to lead us, your children. And God, we love you. We thank you that a beautiful life is before us if we would listen to your Son and follow him. Guide your church and help us to grow. Help us to be transformed by your spirit. God, that we would go through this together as a church, that we would embrace your teaching, that we would embrace the hope of the kingdom, that we might display it in our lives together as we seek you and your glory. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us in response.